Our passage this morning is Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. If you'd like to follow along in the Bibles there in your seats, that's page 801. While you find that in your Bible or in your app, I'll remind you that last week we started this series in Malachi. God's people have returned from exile. They've come back to the promised land. And the temple has been rebuilt, but the glory has not returned. The prominence, the power, the comfort, the peace. And God's people are struggling in the midst of that. And so as we read last week, in the midst of their struggle and concern and doubt, God spoke through the prophet Malachi that He has always loved His people with a gracious, merciful love. And so now He continues His word to His people. Let's attend now to Malachi chapter 1. Verses 6 through 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the fever of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you... Profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have heard God's word read aloud. We will continue to ask that the Spirit would speak it to our hearts. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer for that purpose. Lord, you sent your servant, your messenger to the people. You continue to speak to us today. As we overhear your oracle, may your spirit speak and shape us, allowing us to hear your word, to be shaped by that word, to be changed by that word. Would I be a servant to your word? And would all that falls short be quickly forgotten? This we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. This 
section of the Oracle of Malachi opens with a son honors his father and a servant his master. It speaks of honor, of respect. How do we show honor and respect today? Well, there's, there's lots of ways, but one way we might do it is by bearing someone's name. That is, if there is a company that we respect, we like, we might bear their name in fashion, Ralph Lauren or Polo or Adidas, whatever it might be. If we like a certain uh, company of car manufacturers, we put it all over our cars and we buy it with big emblems. And of course, if there's a sports team we like and a sports player, then we'll buy the jersey and bear the name of that player because we respect that name. That's been of note this week because in the last few weeks, one NFL player has seen jersey sales for his jersey quadruple since the start of the season. Travis Kelsey, tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs, has suddenly seen people all over the nation buying his jersey. And it's pretty good news. That means more money, more attention for him, for the Chiefs, for the NFL. But one conversation that was recorded between a husband and wife reveals a potential issue. The wife was speaking to her husband, isn't it great what Taylor Swift has done for Travis Kelsey? You see, the reason his jersey is selling like hotcakes right now isn't because he's suddenly gotten better at football. He already has a Super Bowl championship. He's already one of the best NFL tight ends there is, but he started dating Taylor Swift. And so this woman says to her husband, isn't it great what he has received because of Taylor Swift? Isn't it great that people now know who he is? And the husband's like, what do you mean that they know who he is? He has a Super Bowl ring. He is one of the best tight ends in the game. It's great that people want to buy his jerseys, that they want to bear his name. But what good is it if they have no sense of who he is or what he has done? Is it an honor to Travis Kelsey to wear his name while you think he was a nobody until Taylor Swift deigned to start dating him? Bearing someone's name as a form of honor and respect is central to the passage. You might have noticed as we read it aloud that the topic of the Lord's name, the greatness of his name, the vindication of his name is throughout this passage, just throughout the prophecy of Malachi in general, but it's particularly concentrated in this passage. And yet God says of his name that the priests... And the people following the priest despise his name. How have they despised it? Are they cursing the Lord's name? Are they speaking ill of it? Are they stamping it? No, they bear it. They bear it proudly as God's people. And yet, they have despised it through their worship. The priests are accepting sacrifices that are against the commandments of God. Lame and sick and blind and stolen animals are being offered. And the acceptance of that offering brings ill repute upon the name of God. Israel bore the Lord's name. Literally, because their, their ancestor Jacob received that name Israel, one who wrestles with God. 
God's people received the blessing of the name when it was revealed to Moses at the burning bush in covenant relationship. God's people received the covenant name Yahweh of the Lord. And when they were to finish their worship, the priests were instructed in number six that they were to bless the people in the name. And so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. God's people are to bear the name of the Lord. And yet if they worship in a way that is inconsistent with the glory and honor of that name, they bring shame upon it. As we this morning who bear the name of Christ as Christians, as we who gather together as those baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we bear the name of Christ. We bear the name of the Lord. And so our worship too matters. The oracle of Malachi compels the priests, compels the people to examine their worship. And so this morning we're going to look at what the pastors indicates about what is the heart of worship. What is the mission of worship? And what is our hope for our worship? I want to be clear that the passage is primarily talking about the acts of sacrifice and offerings at the temple. This is when people would gather together at certain times of year for particular sacrifices, when they would themselves would bring free will offerings. And that was the center of worship. But of course, that worship impacted the way they were supposed to live the rest of their lives. And so likewise, for us, the parallel is much in our Sunday gathered worship that then spills out to the rest of our worship as people in our own devotions and family worship and in the way we follow God. So we're going to look at the, the central act of God's of people gathered to offer sacrifice and consider how that shapes our own gathered worship this morning. And so we start with the heart of our worship. Malachi starts with something that should be obvious. A son is supposed to honor his father and a servant his master. He says, if then I am a father and God is father, he adopted Israel as his people. He referred to them as son. He is their master. He is their king. Yet they are failing to honor him. The heart of worship is meant to be a display of the worthiness of the importance of the significance of God. If you are to honor your father, if you are to show respect and fear for your master, how much more so for the living God? How much more so for the living God who is not just father and servant, but is the covenant God who we read about last week saying, I have loved you. As my special prized possession, I have loved you. What we see in this passage is that the manner of our worship reflects our heart towards God. And the sacrifices which are disobedient to the law, which are leftovers, which are lacking in cost to the people, they reflect a heart of contempt. That God matters little to them or is an afterthought. Now, the priests are the ones called out in the passage. They're called out because it was their job to oversee worship. They were the ones who were to operate at the temple to receive and offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people, but also to be guardians over those sacrifices. Leviticus 10, verse 10 says this, You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, and between the unclean and the clean. 
So they're not doing their job. They're seeing lame and blind animals, sick animals brought to offer to the living holy God, and they're saying, yep, that's fine. We wouldn't want our meat inspectors with the USDA or others doing that with the meat that comes to the grocery store, how much more so to offerings made in worship of the living God. They were given specific instructions as to what was acceptable. Leviticus 22 Verse uh, 25 and following says, You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering from the herd or from the flock, to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish on it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. It's not just that they're supposed to give good offerings, but God has specifically mandated, said, if you want to come and experience me in worship, these are the parameters I have set forth. The priests are despising God's name by explicitly disobeying him. Now, perhaps they want to argue, well, if we lower the standards, the people who are suffering financially, who aren't doing so well in this time, they can offer more sacrifices, God. And, and don't you want more sacrifices? Wouldn't it be better for you to get more than to set this high standard and have less? But they might do well to remember what Samuel says to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. They are not honoring God because they are not obeying Him. And yet this is held up in stark relief because the Persian governor who doesn't serve God, who has been appointed by their enemies because they fear Him, it says, well, you wouldn't offer this to him, would you? Their heart is revealed. And they have failed in their priestly task to oversee the worship. But they also have another priestly task. I read from Leviticus 10.10, but the following verse, verse 11, says this, And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken by Moses. Their job wasn't just to oversee and be guardians of the worship and say this sacrifice is acceptable, this one is not, and then to make the sacrifices. But their job was also to instruct the people in what God's word had said. And so by disobeying, they are teaching others that God is not worthy of honor or fear. It's not just a despising of him in their own hearts through their disrespect and disobedience. It's teaching the people of God that, you know what, either God doesn't see or God doesn't care, so it doesn't matter. What they offer in worship reveals their heart towards God. If you've grown up in church, or even if you've read some children's Bibles, most people are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. Right? The younger son wants his inheritance before his father dies, demands it from his father, goes off and quickly spends it such so that he's out of money, and then when he's out of money, he's out of friends. And he comes to this moment of great desperation. And how do we know that he's so desperate? He sees the food, the scraps, being offered to the unclean pigs and wishes he could have that. 
such as his desperation revealed in that parable to want the scraps is to be at the lowest of the low. And yet the point that Malachi is making is that you think God is worthy of your scraps, the leftovers. Oh, you can't make a great herd with that blind or with that lame cattle or sheep. Well, well, then we can offer it to God. Is God worthy of our leftover scraps or is he worthy of the best, the richest? The way we worship God and with what we worship him reveals our heart towards God. So what does that mean for us? We might be tempted to start having conversations about, well, if the best is what we need to offer God, then we need to address our best, right? And there can be a conversation about that. And there's been some conversations in the evangelical world within the last few weeks of renewed discussion of, should we have coffee in church? Is it appropriate to worship God with a coffee mug in our hand? Yes or no? I'm not saying those questions are insignificant, but really those questions are about formality versus informality. The question of our hearts towards God is about priority and primacy. If God is Lord, if he is king of kings, if he has loved us with a covenantal, faithful, merciful, and gracious love, then he should deserve the best and the first. And that's why the offerings were supposed to be of the best of what they had. The first fruits of the harvest was an expression of God. What we have is from you. You give the best, we return the best to you. So maybe more so, our conversation needs to be about whether we are giving God priority and primacy with our lives. The animals represented wealth, livelihood, a future for the people. And so we might be tempted to say, well, this is about money. We we will obey Malachi if we give God more money. And, and, And that might be appropriate. And Malachi is going to talk about money later in his prophetic oracle. But you know the old saying, time is money. And one of the things that is most valuable in our culture is not the size of our property or not how much money we have, but how busy our schedules are. Because that indicates that we're important. And then we fill and turn our schedules with what is important. One pastor said, I think many of the busiest people probably think that they are in the category of the widow with the mites giving the Lord a tiny thing, but it is valuable because it's all they really have. You remember the widow at the temple, she gives her two mites and Jesus commends her because she gave of everything she had, but she was a widow, she was poor. That's all she had to begin with. Where so many of us look at the two coins or the two hours or the two minutes of attention and say, this is all I have because we squandered what came first. We spend our time and our energy on other things and the two mites that we offer the Lord is what's left over after we've filled our work obligations. We've set up events on our calendar with family members. We've made sure to get our hunting and our fishing in and then with what's left, then we will come and worship Jesus. Are we giving to God in worship only what is left over? Are we starting and saying, God, I give you my affections, I give you my time, I give you my honor. And in trust in him, 
using what's left over after we've honored him, knowing that he will provide for us. Prioritizing worship also shapes our heart. We don't, it doesn't just reveal our heart, but it shapes our heart. It testifies to us. It reminds us and each other of what is most important, the Lord. If it is a blessed thing to bear the name of the Lord, then we worship in a way that should confirm that to ourselves and to each other. To worship not according to our own standards, but according to his instructions, because it's the worship of him and not of us. For the end of worship is not in a giving to God so that we get something back, but it's also central to the mission that he's given us. The way we worship reveals our hearts, and it can change our hearts when we worship in the way that we ought, but we also need to consider worship through the lens of the mission. Verse 9 and 14 speak of the impact of polluted worship. Verse 9 says this, Uh, Let me find it here. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Remember, the priests were supposed to receive the gifts of the people and then present them towards God. And then they were supposed to send them out with the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace, right? God is saying, do you think you can offer such offerings to myself and expect to put the people in a position of experiencing my blessing? Verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Instead of worshiping being a means of blessing, it's become a curse. Perhaps the weariness that we see in verse 13 where the people are rolling their eyes and being like, God, why you put such a burden on us? What does it even matter? Come on, just let us do our job. Perhaps that comes from forgetting the purpose of worship. It's not to give gifts to God to make him happy. God is perfectly happy. That is one of the characteristics of who God is. One of his attributes is that he is perfectly blessed. There is nothing that we can do to add to his happiness. He has everything within himself. He needs to be content. We don't come to worship him so he feels better about himself, to to puff him up, to encourage him when he has a bad day. But rather, we do it as a recognition of who he is. And he offers us, through those acts of worship, the opportunity to be in relationship to him. The offerings for sin removed their guilt and the stain upon them so that they could walk with the holy God. The making of free will offerings and thanksgiving offerings and peace offerings allowed them to reflect on the goodness of God, his generosity, the fact that they could live in peace with God. The purpose of worship is to enter into relationship with the blessed God and be blessed to know God. This is what's so devastating about this impure worship. is not just that it's bad worship from bad hearts, but it robs the people of the gift that God intends for them. To come into his presence and receive the blessing of his name upon them, and instead they are going away under a curse. The priests failed in their priestly mission. To be used of God to bless the people as they come to know God and walk with him. 
But that lack of priestly mission then hurts the people because it wasn't actually just the priest that had the mission, but all of God's people. The purpose of that blessing, coming into God's presence and knowing Him, was that they in turn might be turned into blessings. They were to come into worship to be blessed in order to bless others. We bear the name's Lord that going in His blessing, we might proclaim Him and bless in His name throughout the world. And notice that that's the purpose of God in verse 11 and 14. Verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, from the east to the west, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. God intends for the whole world to know him and to pray to him. That is what the incense evokes is prayer to him. Verse 14, for I am a great God, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God's people enter into his presence to be blessed, but not to stay there, but to go out in response. And this wasn't unique to the sacrificial system of the temple. This is how God made us from the very beginning. In the opening of the Bible in Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing. God blessed Adam and Eve so that they would go into the world to be a blessing in his name. God's people failed. Sin and darkness entered the world, but God made a redemptive act. He covenanted with Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God's people are delivered out of captivity in Egypt, what does Moses say to the people in Exodus 19? Speaking on behalf of the Lord, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. They enter into the blessing of unique, special relationship with God, and you shall be a kingdom of priests. God's people were supposed to be a beacon to the surrounding nations. The nations were supposed to look at Israel's relationship with the Lord and say, who alike Israel, who has a God who gives them such great commandments and walks in relationship to them. God has called us to worship him, to recognize who he is in our worship, and in bearing his name as his people, reinvigorated in relationship with him, freshly blessed in communion with him and his people, so that we would go forth carrying that blessing of his name upon us to a world desperately in need of such a blessing. A blessing that can only be found not in their comfort, not in their wealth, not in their peace, not in their prosperity, but in the God from whom all blessings flow, the Lord himself. During seminary, we're required to take a marriage and family counseling course. And by the end of the course, someone raised their hand and asked the professor, uh, the course is called marriage and family counseling. We're almost done with the course, and we've spent 90% of our time talking about marriage. Do we need to take another class? And the professor said, he said, no, that, that's intentional. 
There are things that kids go through that you need unique counseling and unique intervention in certain circumstances. But when we're talking about the realm of normal counseling for families and children, 90% of the issues for children stem from the parents. That if the couple is in conflict, if they're at odds, if they are going through fear and anxiety, then that in turn shapes the way that they interact with their kids and reduces their sense of comfort and security and love. And so 90% of those issues with the kids and their behavior and things going on with them stem from mom or dad or particularly the way mom and dad relate to each other. 90% of our mission will fail if it's not rooted in worship. How can we expect to be discipling the nations how can we expect to be motivated and invigorated to be a blessing to our neighbors if our worship is not a place where we experience the blessing of the living God who deserves all honor and respect and yet allows us to enter into his presence? If we practice worship as a chore rather than a reinvigoration of blessed experience of God, then we are unlikely to engage in mission outside of ourselves that isn't in turn just a duty. And if we do continue to evangelize without focusing on worshiping God aright, what will we say about God? The missiologist Leslie Newbegin said that the church is the hermeneutic of the gospel. That is, the church, the community of God's people, is the primary way in which people interpret the gospel. Their words, their actions, their way of life communicates what the good news really is. And so if the church is not worshiping God as he is in the way that he has instructed us to, what are we saying about him? Are we inviting people into the life-changing good news that God so loved them that he sent his son to die for them that they might have eternal relationship with an eternal, perfect God? Or are we inviting them to just one more club? To just one more activity? One more identity choice among others in competition for our time and energy and finance. Most likely to be prevalent when it's more exciting and more appealing to our desires and likely to be set aside when we lose interest. Heaven forbid that the place that calls itself a church should bear witness to something other than Christ and in so doing bring a curse upon themselves and others. But our treatment of worship can bless by proclaiming God as worthy, as a king to be served, as a loving heavenly father, as a covenant bridegroom to his bride. If we worship aright, then we will communicate the blessedness of God to a world in need of that blessing. Worship allows us to serve our mission. Lastly, we consider hope for that mission. If we are sensitive this morning, if we've been attentive to the struggles of the priesthood, to the struggles of Israel, then you, if you were like me, the way I have been this week might be asking, can I actually worship? I know my heart that is divided. I know how my schedule is stacked for my comfort and my priorities. I know how little I want to give. I know what I'm struggling with even this morning. 
Is there hope for me to worship God as he deserves? The passage this morning points out that the hope in this worship that we're to offer is not within us, but it's within God. Our hope is in the Lord's vindication of his name. I've already alluded to these verses, but verse 11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Not might be, not I hope it will be, not if you are sufficiently obedient, if you have a good theology of worship, if you give 12% of your finances, then I will accomplish my work. No, God says he will be worshipped. Our hope for worship this morning is in the Lord's vindication of himself in Jesus Christ. Because he provides for us and for himself in Jesus a perfect worshiper. One who comes fully obedient to his law. John 15.10, Jesus says to his disciples, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He walks in the favor of God because he perfectly keeps his commandments. We see his desire to worship God expressed when he enters into the temple and he sees the money changers there and they're blocking access to the court. And what does he do? He drives them out. And what does he say? It's recorded for us in Mark 11. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Jesus would rather disrupt the way things are happening in the temple precincts, throwing over tables, driving out the money lenders, rather than accept impure worship. It, it, It almost evokes the idea of God having someone shut the temple rather than offering sacrifices in vain. But not only is he the perfect worshiper, he is the perfect priest who doesn't need to offer sacrifices for himself, who doesn't fall into sin, who doesn't make mistakes, who doesn't give a passing grade to imperfect sacrifices, and who in turn offers the perfect sacrifice of himself. John the Baptist, when Jesus came to be baptized, declared to the people standing there, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Hebrews 10 tells us, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What is lacking in Malachi Chapter 1, 6 through 14 is provided for us in Christ, a perfect worshiper who is in turn a perfect vehicle of blessing as a perfect priest who offers the perfect sacrifice of himself to perfect us as offerings back to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, not according to your standing, not according to your righteousness, not according to how much money you give the church, whether you're there just on Sunday morning or Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, Saturday morning. By the mercies of God, the mercies of God we see in Christ to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What do we have to offer to the Lord in worship? Christ who offered himself in our place. When we're struggling with our worship, Look to Christ. See in Him the power of God. 
See in Him the majesty of God. See in Him the love of the Father for the Son and in Him the Son who does the will of His Father. See in Him the perfect Master deserving of all obedience. See in Him the love of the Bridegroom for the Bride. One who is worthy of worship from our hearts in every aspect. And seeing who it is, that gratitude leads us to a desire to join Him. To come into His presence and worship. To be with His people to experience a fresh communion and the blessing of bearing His name. Giving our best, knowing that even when it isn't enough, when it isn't offered with right motivation, that we can have expectation that it is accepted because of Christ. I'm already getting those magazines in the mail encouraging me and, more importantly than me, to the retailers, my children, to make a Christmas list. What do they want for Christmas? But there is one thing about giving gifts, whether at Christmas or on a birthday, that can be so wonderful. Those few moments, those few years when you know that you've gotten the perfect gift. Either there's been a hint or you've just made a connection or you've seen something that's perfect and you're more excited to give the gift than you think even the person will be to receive it because you know it's just perfect for them. You can't wait to give it to them. This is why I never tell my kids what I'm giving my wife because they will tell her because they're so excited to tell her. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that we can enter into worship this morning. What does the Father desire from the people? What does the Lord require? He requires perfect worship because He is perfect. Holy worship because He is holy. Rich worship because He owns all things, and yet we know we can give that to Him because He has given us Christ. And we offer back to Him His beloved Son, knowing that He is delighted to receive worship in the name of Christ. As those who bear the name of Christ, would we worship in the blessedness of bearing that name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you call us into your presence to bless us and send us to be a blessing in your name. Thank you that Christ fulfills what is short in our motivation, in our achievement, and in our offering such that we can still enjoy the blessedness of relationship with you. Send us as worshipers on Sunday morning, throughout our day, throughout our week. For your glory, we pray. Amen.